We are Wrestling Elitists. I am Chris Scott Moore, co-hosting along with Alex Gibson and Sean Nash. Welcome to the show, boys. What up? What up? Week three, I'm coming at you live from Parts Unknown, which uh, happens to be just outside of Atlanta this week. <laughs> God's country. Yeah, and glad to be back uh, after my vacation in Alabama and Tennessee. So uh, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you for coming and listening to us today. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a five-star rating as well. Also, go to WrestlingElitist.com to check our star ratings and essays and articles as they come out on a weekly basis. So uh, again, if it's your first episode time listening to the show, what we'll discuss is our match of the week, moment of the week, news item of the week, cringeworthy segment of the week, and then what we're anticipating in the week or weeks ahead. Uh, wanted to go into something that talked about our cringeworthy moment last week discussing Cody going over Malachi Black. So when I went into my cringeworthy moment, that being my cringeworthy moment last week, I prefaced it on a header and footer with Oh, hot take and oh, sorry. And oh, let it mean to go off and rant there. And the reason why I did that is because I don't want us to become characters. And I wanted to make sure you, the listener, and you, the reader of our website, knew that we have an agreement between the three of us that we're never going to become gimmicks and we're not going to do shticks. The thing that we have is no delusions of grandeur that one day we're going to parlay this and doing like a run in on an indie show and doing like a Dan Lambert, like angle or being that character. That's not what we're doing here. We believe that you can talk about wrestling or write about wrestling in the same way that you would for indie music or prestige film, because when pro wrestling is good, it's fucking great. And that's what we're trying to incubate and create here with our podcast and our website. So I wanted to preface that just so you knew our intent is to not go into characters, going into gimmicks. And the most cringeworthy thing possible would be uh, having a one directional feud with a fictional character. We are just to elaborate on that too. We had even talked about as we were starting this podcast, like, do we use our real names for this because this isn't what we do. We don't get paid to do this quite yet. Um, but one of the thoughts that we had was by using our real names, we're not creating some secondary character and things like that. So it goes right. deeper than just how we talk about it. Like we've put a lot of thought into wanting to be very legitimate in what we're sharing and the things that we're saying, we're not saying it because it's going to be the way that we can get clicks or something like that. Exactly. And being, quasi journalist we do have a responsibility to talk about the good and the bad with big segments big news that happened in the week so let's address cody's promo um it's almost as if he was listening to the show which i don't think that was the case but it felt surreal and that some of the things that he talked about he literally brought up in his promo so i wanted to get your guys' thoughts first sean what was your reaction to his promo what came to mind when you heard it yes it was definitely from first ear shot like wow he's one of the many listeners that we have because we're ever growing but it was just very surreal it um i don't even know he answered all the things that we we said he said he's listening but i don't 
I don't know yet that he's really listening because <laughs> it led to something that we all kind of fear. Another storyline, possibly a tag team match at full gear for four people that we'd all love to see just by themselves. But I thought that it was a it was a cool thing because we had joked after we finished the episode Um like Chris, you went on quite the diatribe there. I think after, as I was editing it, I was like, you went four minutes right there, that monologue talking about it. And then to the next day, hear Cody cut that promo where it legitimately felt like he was hitting point after point after point that we had talked about. The only thing he didn't address was my shitting on his theme song. And I think it was cool. My worry is where does it go? Do they just kind of use that as well that was our explanation so now we're done or do we get to see them actually kind of go down the route of him actually eventually turning it just it's too early to tell i think i need to know what the end result is because if it was just a conversation that he had with the fans that night then it's kind of pointless but if we can actually come back to it in a few months and be like oh that was actually kind of the start of something i think that'd be really cool and it does cater to the smart fans in terms of using smart terminology he brought up the word turn But for some smart fans, it's like, oh, shit, you're saying too much. But you can say turn like I'm never going to turn to the dark side in Star Wars. So it's not like it's a word that shouldn't be used or couldn't be used in the right context. But it can get people invested that are smart fans. But the thing that it doesn't do sometimes is if you're not a smart fan, um, it's going to possibly not bring in people who are not hardcore fans. And they may not know what these insider terms mean. Um, and at the same point, I think also the rage that the fans are sending out are they don't want uh, Cody to become John Cena. And I think that's something that you can address on the show at all. And that's what people are pissed off about the most is that he's gobbling up talent perceivably is that he's gobbling up talent that they feel shouldn't be doing jobs yet and that he's going over people he doesn't deserve to go over even though he addressed some of the reasons why people feel like he's not worthy of being in that slot um so it was an interesting promo to say the least i think they want to be careful that they never turn the fans against them that they do the cm punk chance you know or that they are um, hijacking the show because you also don't want to have that. And I was afraid just thinking of it, like, are they going to do CM Punk chance now that he's in AEW? Like that wouldn't really make sense, but like maybe they do. And Calling for the savior. You can turn him heel that way. They did have a few matches. I can't remember who it was, but there was a few early on, like the first few weeks when CM Punk was doing commentary where there were a couple of CM Punk chants. I think they did it in Rochester and people were pretty upset about it. And I definitely hope that that doesn't continue. But I think one thing that I, I also want to shout out to AEW from last week is we had talked also about Malachi Black's Instagram post where he said, I won, even though you pinned me in this last match. I was very glad to see that they actually showed that promo on television. It was good stuff. Okay, so let's get into the meat of the show. Let's talk about our matches of the week. Uh, Alex, what was your match of the week? So uh, there were two matches that I think really had a great opportunity to be match of the week. I ended up choosing Sheeta versus Serena Deeb. Yeah. Um, I think what's kind of cool is both the matches, you know, let's spoiler alert, I guess, Brian Danielson versus Eddie Kingston's the other one that I could have chosen. And I think they did a good job. A lot of times in tournaments, there's not a whole lot of heat to the match other than I want to move on into the tournament. And I think both of those matches had a good job of kind of setting up a little bit of a feud prior 
I felt like Sheeta and Deeb had a little bit deeper of a feud because Sheeta had just gone for win number 50 and then Serena had kind of turned on her, broken her trophy, and then they're immediately facing again. So I thought that kind of going into it, having that little bit of added extra story was really good to me. And that was kind of why it made it a little bit better of a match for me than uh, Kingston and Danielson. And I was kind of sitting there like deciding like, which one do I want to make my match of the week? Because I could have made either of them do it and I could have argued either side. But for me, I think seeing the women's division get the treatment that it's getting in terms of like that, treating them like serious contenders. Yeah. Um, we just saw, you know, the queen of the ring tournament where the entire tournament's length wasn't as long as the first two matches of the yeah. TBS tournament. Yeah. Uh, so seeing that, seeing it get taken seriously, seeing it have that kind of feud attached to it, and then just the general overall quality of the match, I think Serena Deeb is probably one of those people that we're going to look back and be like, where has she been for all these years? I know she spent yeah. some time in WWE and then some other some time in some other places, but she wasn't really a name that I recognized when she first was with NWA and then kind of did the stuff with AEW. I think she's going to be somebody who's really going to get to build her legacy in AEW. Yeah. And I think that that match to me, just looking back, I mean, it was only, I think it was just under 11 minutes and it felt like a 15 minute match. And I mean that in the best way possible. Um, and it was really cool to see. She kind of pulled off a heel Brett, the Hitman heart. Yes. The, gimmick yes. the whole match and she comes out in the pink she's really working the leg does the the figure four in the post and she's just very strategic like bret hart was and it was just good to kind of see those references like we do in matches like with cm punk um and whoever it was in the beginning um was a darby they were doing one two three kid and yeah bret the hitman heart just good to see the the history follow through yeah, it was the the paying homage there. And then also I thought it was really interesting. Usually when you watch a wrestling match, it's heel dominates the face the entire match. And then the, the face gets kind of those, you know, their couple quick win, hits in and then they potentially get the win. It was actually Sheeta was dominating most of the match from an offensive standpoint. But every time she'd get the momentum, Serena would cut down her legs yep. and, you know, kind of injure her and then work that leg. And then, like you said, kind of doing that um, hit, hitman spot. I just thought it was really it was a match that you don't typically see in terms of the way that they kind of like whoever the agent was, whoever kind of built that match, they built it in a way that's not always how a typical wrestling match goes. So I thought that that made it really interesting as well. Yeah. And they put that the match right in the middle of the show where they don't typically feature, Oh, this is where our four star match is going to be. And I thought they, that was cool as well is that it definitely brought up the momentum of the show and kept things building last week. I think all of us had moments of like, well, shit, I don't know which cringeworthy moment to pick because it wasn't the greatest show that they've had. And it wasn't to the standard that AEW has had in the last couple of weeks, but this last week of wrestling was one of their best runs in for the longest time. It was absolutely fantastic. This match was four stars in my book. Um, I thought it was fantastic as well. Serena's facials are fantastic and great. She's coming off as uh, Bret Hart a little bit, but then also showing shades of Dean Malenko with being able to just manipulate certain parts of the body and being very believable. And I think eventually she's going to turn into uh, a type of heel contender that can really put Britt Baker face. Sean, what was your match of the week? Uh, my match of the week, which, and I believe, Chris, you would agree with me, oh, yeah. um, is Danielson versus Kingston. I don't know, Alex, how you couldn't make this. That was a great match, undoubtedly. <laughs> but this match was by far the breakout of, 
of the whole show. I th- like we were texting with a friend, sh- friend of the show earlier, Bird. Uh, this was definitely the best match that has been on Rampage thus far. Yes. Uh, just from the beginning of the story, just last week, I was anticipating a promo between these two, and they they showed out on Wednesday with a far cry of depression in Eddie Kingston shout out. We all have struggled with mental health and it's not a shame, especially even a man as grizzled and tough as Eddie Kingston has to wake up and battle the same battles everyone does. But Brian Sin, Dan, Brian Danielson doesn't <laughs> have, have to deal with that crap. He, he, everyone wakes up every morning and has that problems and they get out of bed and they do their job. They get up, they work hard and that's still what he's calling out him to do. It's, just fantastic storylines. And then in, in the ring, we see the resilience and toughness show out plenty of times. They're going punch for punch, um, really seeing who can take whatever the other one's got. And then Eddie hits that spinning back fist and just knocks out. Yeah. yeah. Just great. And then we see he might have it. And then he sneaks into that triangle choke. Doesn't tap out, gives him the finger, says, fuck you. You're not going to put me out. Ref calls it. And you even see after the match, he's still pissed off. Like, I didn't lose. But you can't take that away from him. What about you, Chris? Do you have similar thoughts? Yeah, similar thoughts uh, as well. So one of the dumb wrestling, pro pro wrestling announcer cliches, excuse me, is saying, well, you can tell the story by the look in their eyes. But you really could tell the story with the look in their eyes by Eddie Kingston when he came out. Oh, yeah. There's signs of trepidation of, I know I'm probably going to lose. This means so much to me. I may be overmatched. This guy's really hot. I need this. And he has advantage and privilege that I don't have. There's so many emotions on his face. He's a fan fucking tastic actor. Like his acting skills are really underrated. And just he's a fantastic seller as well. Like you can see when he's struggling. You can see when he has no energy left and it feels authentic and real. Uh, the chop that he gave to Daniel. Oh my God. So, okay. You he's know, I mentioned the thing about us not having gimmicks. So if one of us says Daniel Bryan again, we're going to have to sing the fucking Bailey theme. I think it's going to be like our on-air punishment if we do that. We're going to have to sing the Bailey theme or the Stephanie McMahon rap entrance or the Rujo Brothers All-American Boys song. One of us is going to have to sing it if we say the wrong fucking name again. Um, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> but his chest was beat up right away. And Eddie attacked it, and it was sounded so good. Like, chops are amazing when you do them right. And he lit into Brian Danielson very effectively right away. A little bit cringeworthy with the headbutts. I was not a fan of that. Oh, that freaked me out, and that yeah. felt very, very real. And I didn't like to see that. And I was like, God, I hope they don't go tip or tat on headbutts. That's not what they need, especially after – having Shibata back. I just don't want to have someone have an aneurysm in their head. We talked about wrestling safety last week on last week's episode. Does scare me to see that shows intensity. I like it. Uh, The finish of the match was fantastic of uh, Kingston hitting him doing that spin move backhand being exhausted and have nothing left and crawls over and gets caught with another submission move. That's different. So setting up different types of submission moves, each victory that he's had in the tournament, the other thing that I love that they set up as well, Kingston was biting. I don't know if you guys caught that. That's the only other time mm. there's been biting in a wrestling match. I think recently in AEW it was when Moxley did this week as well. So showing those uh, heel tendencies that are going to come out and showing the potential programs down the line. Fucking loved it. 
four stars, four and a half, or four, four and a quarter. Four and a quarter, I think we both Yeah, said. four and a quarter I gave that. I, for sure, would not argue against anyone choosing that as match of the week for themselves. I think that it was an incredible match. I think it was actually something that when I chose Deeb versus Sheeta, it kind of, it was something that for me, I actually wanted to address the whole, we're not doing gimmicks. We're not just picking things different to pick things different or so we can all talk about something or all argue about something. It was a genuine choice for me based on like, to me, the emotion of the previous match. I felt like the story was there, but I do think that the story that Danielson and Kingston told as it was happening was beautiful. It was a great match. And it's really cool to see what Eddie, first of all, just him joining the company off that TNT challenge when he came out with no music and just cut a promo, then seeing him get a job out of that. And now seeing that he's more than just a talker or John Moxley's friend, it's been amazing to see this happen. Sean and I were lucky enough to see Eddie a few times at some local shows and just seeing this come up that he's had has been it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like I'm watching my friend have this come up and, you know, somebody who you've watched for years struggle and then uh, just building what he's been able to do. Yeah. It's almost like it could be a false move even turning him heel because he does have an enduring quality to him that you do feel like, okay, this is a guy that I saw in the Indies that came off like an indie guy uh, in the eyes of many fans. But even just, you know, the first time I saw him, shall admit it too. I just thought he was an evolved indie guy. I wasn't as impressed. I didn't think he earned the right to main event at first. I thought, yeah, he's a great promo, but I don't see it in the ring. In the ring now, I think he's more impressive than he is on the mic, and that's saying something. Yeah, his story is one that actually kind of harkens back to what we talked about before we started the segments. This was a time Cody listened to us. This was the fans wanting him to come into AEW and give it an actual open challenge. And he's made a career from it. This is gonna this is so good for him. And it's just happy to see someone who's put his time in far too long on the roads finally getting his just desserts. Love this match. Love where it's going. I think we'll talk about that at the end of the show when we go into anticipation. But let's talk about uh moment of the week. Alex, what was yours, my friend? Speaking of us getting into arguments, Chris, <laughs> my <laughs> my moment of the week was Hangman helping the Dark Order get their W over the Elite. Um, I thought that it was a fun match. You know, the Halloween, there's always going to be those theme matches. As we get into Christmas, those are going to happen. I thought that they did a really good job of having a great match that also kind of incorporated the goofiness of the holiday um, you kind of knew going into it. I think you even texted our group chat like, oh, is Hangman the Ghostbusters guy? I can't even think of the name Dave right now. Marshmallow Man. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew you were dreading it, but I was like, I can't wait for the reveal, even though I knew it was him. Uh, and you kind of there's a little bit of an aspect to it of how are the elite so stupid that they didn't think that that was going to happen type of a thing. But I just thought it was a, a really cool moment. And I think that in that match, you needed to have something like that. Like, I think if, if you didn't do it, people would have been kind of questioning, like it was the Halloween episode and they were all dressed up and they didn't do any type of a a spot with hangman being like a character that they didn't expect him to be. I just felt like it was the obvious choice. And sometimes going with the obvious choice is the right choice. And I just thought it was fun to see the dark order finally go over the elite kind of get that big win because usually they're there to be the main event jobbers. So it was just a fun, fun match. And I think it's just, it's got my anticipation building for 
full gear and seeing Hangman actually get the chance to go over next. Yeah, we'll talk about that for my cringe of the week later on in the episode. I want to hear Alex's moment of the week, but I will say this too. It did accomplish the point. It got everyone excited for full gear. At the end of the day, as much as I don't like it, the crowd was super into it. And they're all excited for the main event. Everyone's going to be super into full gear. It didn't kill everything. It just isn't my cup of tea, and I'll explain that later. What was your moment of the week? It was fun and it, it got the crowd entertained and yeah. it was Halloween. So it was just, it was what's to be expected and it was good to get Hangman on the show. But uh, for my moment, I chose the post MJF match brawl with Darby Sting, yeah. um, Sean Spears and his accountability buddy Wardlow. <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, we get first, we get the squash, which was just boom, get him out of the ring. And then he really goes to town on the people of Boston getting the cheap heat. Then we see MJF kind of pull his his normal shtick, try to psych out the crowd. Um, and we hear Sting's entrance hit. It's a joke. But what I noticed in that is something that Alex brought up last week is the relationship that these two have had throughout time. Wardlow didn't seem clued into it all. He was like yes. rolling, up his, ro- yep. rolling up his sleeves like, all right, let's go. And then him and Sean Spears are in the back giggling like two little girls. It was just like, oh, I've never truly noticed it with my eyes till you put the words to it last week. So that was good to see. Um, and then you get into just the whole beat down of it all. Uh, Darby's in that invisible man costume and then pulls back to reveal the uh, kind of looked like Jack Skellington from Nightmare Before Christmas paint. Uh, theme. You get a little bit of that glimmer of Halloween, but it didn't have to be in the main event and really piss some people off on the show. But just uh, <laughs> Sting hitting the bat on uh, Sean Spears's back that was hitting the chair, just great little things there. Uh, the Death Wish skateboard thumb, full of thumbtacks to MJS or uh, Wardlow's back, just brutal. Just whenever you see him bring out one of those skateboards as a weapon, it's like, that's gotta fucking hurt. Oh, yeah. But uh, we all knew where it was going. Um, Darby only had to say two words, and it was full gear. Can't wait for it. Yeah, it was almost my moment of the week uh, as well. I thought that the subtleties that Wardlow showed was fantastic because MJF isn't, he's not, subtlety isn't always his key. He's pretty much (laughs) stomps on the heel uh, pedal pretty aggressively but Wardlow's facials were fantastic in the back and just looking at things uh and not being clued into the old Shawn Michaels in Montreal bit which needed to be played again and needed to be done again and of course MJF can pull it off like no one else and yeah I liked seeing Darby not be a chicken shit and not be a loser baby face he's a guy who wants to fight and kick his ass and he's not in his head he just wants to kick his ass and he makes a compelling baby face, which is what I want to watch when I watch wrestling. I want to see a baby face be stoic and have balls. Seeing seeing Wardlow's facial expressions in that whole time, I, I actually was, there was another moment beyond the Cody moment of, wow, we just talked about this. Seeing Wardlow in that moment was that same feeling of, that's exactly what we were just, we were just talking about on the podcast last week. Um I think that they did a great job with that segment. Absolutely could have been all three of our segment of the week and nobody would have really questioned that or complained about that. I don't think Um, MJF is just, he's gold. Uh, Sean Spears is just like slowly winning me over. I, 
Am I going to say that on recording? I guess <laughs> yeah, it's on, it's on there permanently now. Live with and um, can somebody tell AEW that they could probably gimmick those skateboards so that they don't actually have to just tear up each other's back every time that Garvey does that. Ride them once did or twice. See, just uh, did you see? Did you see Wardlow's back? Like the photos of it afterwards? Oh, yeah, it brutal. Yeah, yeah, you can. It can be fake. Like that's <laughs> it doesn't need to be. Uh, it doesn't need to be real. It's like, you know we don't punch each other for real in wrestling either. So yeah, they can gimmick some shit. But Wardlow is going to turn into Batista in 2005. The turn that he did with Triple H, that's yes. what they're gro- going to. And when they hit that, it is going to be huge. And Wardlow is going to be one of the most over baby faces in the company. Speaking of over baby faces in the company, Dante Martin. It was fantastic Whoa. to see him get. Yeah, segue. Got to fucking love it. Uh, it was fantastic to see him get his first big major win on a main stage. He looked excellent in that match against uh, Matt Seidel. He comes off like a young Ricochet or a Will Ospreay, and you see potential in him to become a unique style of wrestler. A lot of wrestlers in AEW incorporate uh, Shawn Michaels-ish style where they can fly, they can brawl, they can do technical wrestling, but they don't really have like a Rey Mysterio type or a Ricochet type. And Dante Martin can totally pull that off and pull it off well. So fantastic to see him have a big win. That spot that he did in the corner where he like lifted the ropes on the, this opposite side of his hands and kind of trolled him different and did that flip. And that's, I didn't know what the hell that was, but I thought that was the shit. It was amazing. Watching Leo Rush be a little leech and celebrate and act like that was all coming from him and giving that false praise to him. Also setting up a fantastic angle. Dante Martin had a different expression and look on his face and didn't have that sad, dopey-eyed, kind of confused look that sometimes he has. He had a great proud-of-himself moment. So just setting up the feud between those two is going to be great as well. Loved watching him have his moment to shine. And that was a fantastic uh, three-star match, too. Uh, I would like to officially change my moment of the week to that segue. That was beautiful, Chris. You're welcome. Thank you. But uh, no, I agree. Dante's been great. He's really grown on me. I think he's more intriguing than an Osprey or a Ricochet at this point, like a, a homegrown version really for AEW. He's doing things that you, I feel like I've never seen before in the ring. He's one of the most athletic people I've ever seen Russell, but he also does it in a way where sometimes you see these guys who are high flyers and it feels like that's all they can do is just something impressive like that, but they can't follow it up with the next move or they can't follow it up with the story. And he's really getting a chance to do that. And it's really, it's exciting to see what he's going to do because I th- is he even out of his teens yet? Like, is he, is he 20 yet? I, I think don't, he is 20. Well, I think his brother's 22. So they're very, you know, they're both super young and just the potential that's there, especially from some of the people that they can learn from mm-hmm. in a few years, Dante Martin is going to be the biggest name. He's going to be, there's going to be, you know, kids wearing his shirt everywhere. Yeah. It's kind of nice to see the like high flyer actually have a storyline. Cause I feel like in the past, it's really just, Oh, it's the little weight kid up against the biggest odds. And that's all their story is. And it's, that's not really a story at all. This is going to be some kind of, Judas trader. I'm the mentor. I'm going to stab you in the back later down the road. And his brother still has to come back. So 
there is definitely a great story there. And I think that there's got to be something in his knees, his shoes, something. He is such a springboard. There's the air that he gets does not make sense. I blows my mind. Yeah. He's going to be a guy that gets fans that weren't fans before into wrestling. Like I think Ricochet did with new Japan folks. He's going to be having that same opportunity to get people to get sucked in because he is so unique and he's so different and he's relatable. He just looks different and he looks young. Uh, We'll have a wide demographic that I think become fans of him. So love watching him have his moment. And Leo Rush pulls off the big money Matt Hardy gimmick better than Matt Hardy does. He pulls that shit off so well. And you notice with Matt Hardy not being on the main shows, you didn't miss him because Leo Rush played those notes a lot better than Matt Hardy does. I like to see him teleport. That's my thing. (laughs) Call me crazy. But uh, I think Leo Rush plays that weasel character so well. He's like a Jimmy Hart at the same time, too. Kind of has that tendency to him as well. Uh, I love his character and I can't wait to see what he does, which I never fucking thought I would say about Leo Rush. Leo has already surpassed, I think, all three of our expectations in his yeah, time here definitely. In, in AEW. Uh, just to go back real quick on the one point about Dante and him bringing in new fans. If I were to meet somebody today, tell them I'm a wrestling fan, and they were to ask me, ooh, who should I look up? Like, what should I look up to see Like, what, what it is you love about wrestling? Dante would be one of the first three names I would use right now. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, so, uh, speaking of, uh, segues, let's go into the next segue. <laughs> I wanted to have the worst segue possible to go into the news of the week. We all talked about this, the sell and, or not sell, but just the unknown of ring of honor. Alex, what were your thoughts of this story? I mean, first of all, the, there's kind of the, you feel bad for all these people that are just losing their job because as much as WWE and AEW are thriving or even new Japan, not all of these people are going to get an opportunity. Nope. There's just there's there's a lot of people that have been on that roster that are not going to get a chance to really shine outside of ROH. And hopefully they get a chance to go on the indies and do that and still make money and still make a living. But when I thought about it, obviously the first thing you go to is, okay, who's going where? And who are the people I would want to prioritize as an AEW fan showing up in AEW? I think for me, the number one thought is uh, Jonathan Gresham. Uh, seeing somebody like him face Daniel Bryan, seeing him versus Lee Moriarty. Okay, I said it once, uh, so now we've all said it once. Next time, it's a punishment, not not this time. Starting now, I'll edit. I'll edit it so I said the right one in post. Um, <laughs> but seeing those guys get a chance, Bandito, Roosh, there's going to be a lot of big names, and it's going to be weird to see how how AEW prioritizes who they go mm-hmm. after because they're already pretty full. I mean, we talked yeah. about it last week when it came to Bray Wyatt, even like, is there really room for him? Is he going to be somebody that joins AEW? And now that's an even bigger roster because if you can sign two or three of these really good ROH talents for the same that you would have signed a, a Bray Wyatt for, maybe you sign them. Uh, I think it's also a really good chance to strengthen the women's division as well. Um, the women of honor have put on some really good matches. So I really hope that we'll see a couple of signings come out of that. What about you, Sean? Yeah, it was, uh, sad to hear at first, just going back and thinking about seeing shows at the, uh, the Dearborn gymnasium, wherever they were. Uh, so cool. We even saw them in downtown Royal Oak, uh, one of the greatest shows I think I've ever been to with, uh, new Japan, 
but it was just sad to see. Yeah, and you can't can't really hope anyone loses their job, especially in the times that we're in now. Still, um, I definitely reiterate wanting Jonathan Gresham to be one of the three people that comes from this to AEW. Him, Roosh, Bandito. I don't know if you consider Dragon Lee a ROH star or not. He's kind of all around, but definitely would love a run in with him. Um. You just hope that things fall into place. I mean, there there's those impacts that there was a relationship with New Japan and there's the dojo in LA. So hopefully people can do stuff with that. They're doing those stronghold shows or whatever they yeah. call them. Um, you just hope you don't get the people like the Briscoes, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what I want to say. Matt Taven. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, I've had a long, long, I, I hate to say that I hate a wrestler here because maybe one day it happens, they listen, but Matt Taven, I hate you. I, I don't want you anywhere near all elite wrestling. Stay away. Um, but also on a bright side, maybe not a bright side because none of us are rich enough to buy it. The, the backlog tape of all the ROA show was going to the highest bidder and we could have just been in possession of that. Then we would have been truly elite. Yeah, I will go ahead and I'll post a link to a GoFundMe for us three to get that <laughs> in the podcast description. You know, you mentioned the New Japan connection, and I think that was a realization for me that they're just in separate worlds. When they did that show at Madison Square Garden, Ring of Honor was nowhere near New Japan, and you could just see a world of difference. And it was sort of sad. As shitty as that sounds, it was sad to see them there. They just weren't up to their level. And this was the inevitable coming. I think of ECW in 2000, where they're too big to have the infrastructure that they have to support the business that they were generating because they have to pay so much out to keep everything running, but they won't be able to do it because they're not small enough to be a true indie, but they're not big enough to be on a national level like WWE and all elite wrestling. And I hope those guys find landing spots, but like, you know, Vince had that mandate or Bruce Pritchard or whomever that said no more indie midgets, pal. So a lot of those guys aren't going to get jobs and not everyone can go to AEW. That's just not feasible, especially with all the signings. Like you guys mentioned before, like, is it better to, you know, not get a Bray Wyatt or a Braun Strowman and just have Dragon Lee and some other folks, or just to bring in all the all the women that would be a lot more effective uh, than paying a high amount of money for one guy. And so I don't know, you just can't, you can't hire everyone. So it's, it's a sad situation and you wonder what's going to happen. My guess is that uh, producers and owners of television stations saw that studio wrestling and there maybe worked and that it was sustainable. Granted it was shitty to watch and the ratings did go down, but maybe they feel like, okay, we can just do a studio wrestling show and they can turn it into uh, Lucha underground ask when they do the revamp, whenever that is, or maybe that's just um, a false flag and it's a smoke screen and it really truly is dead. No one knows yet. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And there's a lot of uh, shit to come down the stream in a couple of weeks. You had brought up the, the, uh, declaration of not getting these indie midgets um short people yeah yeah. uh there has been the the declaration of hiring shorter refs so maybe there's a career in refs for these people in wwe but uh hopefully not hopefully they get to continue on the path that they truly want and 
ROH says they're they're coming back in Q2 of next year, so maybe they do with contractless wrestlers. Uh, and hopefully it works out because it's still nice to see the traveling indie shows for what they are. Especially if we all end up going to WrestleMania next year and they do do that show in the Texas air, that could be fun for us to do a special podcast about one of those shows. You know, you never know. So we want to keep our options open for the future. Live on the road. That would be fun. All right. Let's talk about cringe worthy moments of the week. Alex, you had something you just wanted Whoa. to get off your chest, huh? I mean, I don't know how to put it that way, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, it's uh, Abaddon. Just Spooky. the character, everything about it. I just don't like, I'm just over the, it feels like it's such an easy out when someone says, hey, you're a wrestler now, you need a character. And then they instantly go to, I'm going to be a spooky person. I don't enjoy the whole, like, it basically seems like she's from, I don't know, one of those movies, like The Thing or something. I don't even know. The Ring. I think that's what I'm actually yeah. thinking of. Yeah. And I know it worked for certain people. It worked for The Undertaker. But like even when I look at Bray Wyatt, uh, to keep bringing him up, I liked him when he was a somebody who came out of like the Louisiana swamps as like just like a weird like cult leader. Uh, when they started transitioning him over to The Fiend, that's when I kind of took a step back and he wasn't really for me. And I thought like the whole thing with Mark Henry, when they, you know, he's doing his main event thing and she just starts oh. bleeding from the mouth instead of responding. It doesn't, I don't know if I'm supposed to think that that's real or if I'm supposed to think that that's her just trying to freak out Brit. And like, because I don't really fully understand what they're trying to present with her. It just comes off as cringe to me. I don't really enjoy the, the ring work with her either. And for me, I'm just, I, I would just love to not have these horror based characters for a while. I'm just sick of them. And for me, like that was something that if I was watching with somebody uh, that was watching for the first time, I would have turned over and be like, Hey, this isn't the stuff that I like. Yeah. I think first off, she was hard to even look at on the TV. It just, just every look was just gruesome looking, the weird blood coming out and the stuff that's all around her mouth spooky as hell but there was a, a missed moment that they sh- could have really ran with when she's just gone from the the booth wherever they're doing the promos and they all start freaking out they easily should have had her like pop up behind Britt baker and her goons take them out Britt runs to the the ring we get a semi clean match till they come out the end and help her score the victory um there was a couple of good spots in the match with not wanting to put her hand in her mouth, but Abaddon just overall not what I want to see on TV or what I want to tell people to watch when they ask about wrestling. Yeah. Uh, Mark Henry's no sell of that was pretty unintentionally hilarious. <laughs> so I have to admit it was just awkward. Like, Oh man. Uh, and yeah, spooky wrestling characters just don't work. They, they just seem like the boogeyman to me. Not the boogeyman, the fictional uh, mythological character, but the boogeyman, the ill-fated wrestler in 2006. The boogeyman. Because uh, you never want to hear the announcers have to sell it. That was one of the most cringeworthy things to have JR pretend to be scared of Kane's pyro that he hears twice a week. Like, you're not a fucking afraid of it. Come on. That's just annoying. And then they're going to have to sell this stuff. So it just came, it comes off as cartoonish and kiddish. And it, even when the match with the trick-or-treat stipulation 
why didn't uh, Britt Baker's goons just beat the shit out of her the whole match? Like From I don't beginning. Yeah, like I just don't. It just doesn't work. Uh, nice attempt. I like having a different sized uh, female wrestler. I liked a different look for a female wrestler, but wasn't uh, firing in all cylinders for me either. Sean, what was your uh, cringeworthy moment of the week, my friend? Uh, last week, I kind of went into wrestling safety. I think this week, I'm sticking with wrestling etiquette. Uh, after the Sammy Guevara, Ethan Page, all ego, Ethan Page match, Jericho comes out, leather jacket, stomach hanging, and some tight jeans and some Jordans. Just classic Jericho as we know him today. Uh, and he gets into his promo and says ego hasn't beaten anything in a while other than himself. Or, and it led to a crowd chanting, beat your meat. And it was just something you just don't hear on TV every day. And just when you hear it, you're like, is that really what they're chanting? And we're, we're putting this on live TV. Hard to tell people, Hey, I watch wrestling, watch this. And Jericho leads that and he ran with it and it just didn't work for me. But I mean, I wasn't looking for the biggest cringe of the week. This, I think this was just wrong. I felt like overall Jericho for the last month or two or really basically since he turned face with the inner circle he's just been super corny and that was just one of those super corny things that that felt like a john cena joke or something like that from 2008 and it's like he's it's like he's going out of his way to do these now like the whole like making the crowd sing that dan lambert's a fat face loser or whatever it was a couple weeks ago all of that stuff just doesn't really resonate with me. Like it's cool to get the crowd into it. It's cool to get their chanting and get their reaction, but it feels like he's going with some real low hanging fruit in terms of like what's funny. And as somebody who outside of wrestling loves like comedy and things like that, it just feels kind of lazy. And it's like, dude, you've been in this business for 20, 30 years. I feel like you could come up with better things than that. Yeah, he's certainly a better heel than I think he has a baby face, especially on commentary. I mean, we could all bitch about the cringe of him screaming every line. Uh, and, and also, I, I thought you guys were going to go with for, or Sean, excuse me, I thought you were going to go with the cringe segment of uh, that premier athlete, Tony Nese, not knowing the words to Judas either. <laughs> he, yeah, I couldn't tell if he was either being like, fuck this shit, or he's actually going to try and sing. And he's trying, trying to sing along with the crowd, still can't get it. Real premiere. <laughs> uh, my is. cringe moment of the week was the main event of the elite versus the dark order. So I'm going to talk about what I liked about it. And then what I didn't like about it. It's going to cause a rift in the podcast. It's gonna cause, yeah. This is going to, this is going to cause us to succeed from this podcast. We're going to have a separate podcast now. Um, you know, actually, fuck it. I'm going to go the other way. What I didn't like about it. I don't like comedy wrestling inside the ring. This felt like comedy wrestling to me using a proton pack in the match just was too jokey. Uh, evil Uno with the cowboy hat on, even though I did like the fake mustache underneath the mask. I thought that was kind of funny. I have to give him props there. But just doing uh, comedy wrestling in the ring for this long, it just reeks a little bit of Jerry Lawler and Doink and Dink and him getting a pie in the face. It just feels like one step removed from that. I don't mind comedy in wrestling. Bobby Heenan's probably my favorite character of all time, or one of them at least. You can do comedy. I don't have a problem with it. I wanted to see more... uh, action and i wanted to see more rage as we got closer to the full gear main event i know it's halloween so whatever i get it it's fine i understand it but at the same point i wanted to harken back to 
the earlier days of the feud when it was all about who's going to turn on what in this friendship and the betrayal. And there are so many emotions and so many different angles for them to go with the storyline. I felt this was unsatisfactory because it was a little goofy. And of course, you knew the whole time that Hangman was going to be the uh, Stave Puff Marshmallow Man. If they wanted to really go deep with references, he could have been the EPA agent, Walter Peck. I would have found that to be fucking awesome. But I think Fantastic. that's so inside baseball for Ghostbuster fans. Like only me and a few people would have got that reference. I don't know. I did love the song though. That was fantastic. Hilarious. Love the Ghostbuster theme getting redone. Uh, I loved the fact that they didn't have to be too physical. So you didn't have to worry about someone getting hurt before the main event. And I liked that the crowd was into it. It also scared me because I'm afraid that, oh, that could become a thing where we have more comedy wrestling in the main events. However, with AEW being a Petri dish that has a cornucopia taste, as they like to say, with everything being so physical and everything being so intense and having these great technical classic wrestling matches, they did need a moment of level tea as well. So I can kind of be okay with it. It's just not my cup of tea. I think one other area to kind of explore on it too is the elite have always been just these goofy people. If you watch being the elite or you just kind of watch them throughout, they're always, they're always trying to not be too serious almost, even when they're these heels, they're, they're these over the top heels and everything like that. So I think that that plays into allowing it to be a comedy thing. I think if you would have looked at it and it was John Moxley and Eddie Kingston in that same exact spot, I would be right there with you saying like, that was stupid. Why would they have made that such a comedy match? Mm-hmm. But I think based on the two groups that were involved, it was the right amount of comedy that still kind of pushed forward their biggest uh, current storyline. And fair enough. I am forgetting uh, being the elite because that is how they got to the position that they were in. So I'm forgetting that because I was never a fan of that. Never watched the YouTube show. I think only a couple segments here or there, but I'm sure that that has an audience for it. And again, people fucking loved it. Like, there's people that hated it that are so uber serious about wrestling and everything has to be a real uh, legitimate contest and everything has to be uber serious, Mid-South style, whatever. There's that fan base too that is in AEW, but a lot of them are fans that just want to have fun. And it was very fun for the audience. Everyone in the crowd popped super hard. It was ill-fated timing being three weeks out of one yes. of their four pay-per-views, but it's it's the holiday time. You, you got to do it. It's expected. But yeah, it's just ill-fated time. It's surreal for me to, to think about and when I first got into wrestling in 1990 or 1991, height of the real Ghostbusters show, couldn't have been a bigger Ghostbuster fan to think that wrestling and Ghostbusters would combine and I'd be like, oh, fuck that. <laughs> 30 years later or whatever. It's very <laughs> surreal for me to think that that was happening. Um, so we're getting closer to full gear. I want to go into next what our anticipations are. So Alex, what were what are you anticipating in the weeks ahead? What I'm anticipating next really is this Andrade versus Cody match. And it's one of those ones where I can be negative about the thought that is it just going to be a rehash of what they just did with Malachi Black, where Andrade will win matches one and two, and then Cody wins number three. So he gets to win the feud essentially. But for me, I think what I'm excited about is what we've talked about in the last episode. We might've even talked about it in both episodes. I'm just excited to see Andrade kind of start to get more and more involved in ring and getting to see him be the Andrade that we all know he can be. So it's more so about the fact that it's Andrade versus somebody who always puts themselves in the spotlight 
and getting to see what comes out of it, getting to see the Andrade that I've been excited for since the kind of announcement that he was leaving WWE last, earlier this year and getting to see him kind of get a little bit more spotlight. I'm ready for him to move on from Pac and all of the other kind of stuff that he's been doing. So I think it's a good area to kind of move into. I'm sure we'll probably see Chavo Guerrero get involved at some point as he finishes up uh, his show with The Rock. Um, But for me, just knowing that we're finally getting a little bit of uh, an Andrade push, no matter what it's going to end up being, is something that's exciting for me. Yeah, I'm excited to see how they pay off this gamble of putting these four together because a lot these guys are not folks that are traditional faces or heels. They are all shades of gray. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do this, especially with Cody's precarious situation of, are they going to keep him a face? Cause that's what he seems to want to do. Or are they building up to that heel turn? Because Pac isn't the most sympathetic baby face at all. Uh, he's never been in that role before. And he's always been a shade of gray character. So it'll be interesting to see how they pull that off. I like that the four of them are going to have a tag match, I guess, at full gear. It gives them something to do. That match is going to be a banger. It's going to be fin- it's going to be awesome. Uh, and Andrade is an interesting person to pair Cody with because you don't know how the audience is going to react. He cut a great promo, though, and he hasn't had a chance to really be to talk himself. It's not like he can't speak fucking English like that whole idea is ridiculous. This guy can talk great and we all work in environments where people come from around the world and you have to interact with all different sorts of accents and backgrounds anyways. So it's not like he's an audible. They don't need to be afraid of letting him talk. Let him talk. He'll get over. He's a strong enough performer who has a ton of charisma where I think he's a great performer and he's going to be a great performer in the ring. And now I like that they're giving him a chance to talk more and they don't have Chavo or that uh, weirdo guy who's kind of hanging out with him with the iPad, whatever, uh, doing shit with him. Like, uh, you know, he can speak for himself. So I'm, I'm interested to see what they're going to do on Wednesday and who's going to take the loss. And that'll be interesting in itself. Yeah, that'll be interesting for sure. Hopefully it'd be cool if somehow we end up getting more of like a four way with some leaning towards a title shot with the TNT title, maybe for these four, because four of them, they're just four great competitors that are running stale in these um, little feuds that aren't really doing anything, especially with Cody. So, And did, did Malachi and Andrade, didn't they tag at one point? in like NXT or something they fought he yeah, they fought they never I think, oh, I think some he got the belt tagged. from Andrade yeah and Malachi Black as Alistair Black tagged with Ricochet but it wasn't with Andrade ever yeah, they had I mean, a good food like they have the connection of Selena or Zelina but like they can't acknowledge oh, it maybe on that, TV. yeah yeah maybe I'm just putting those two together what about you I believe you two actually had the same thing again a lot of corporate synergy going on this week <laughs> yeah the love's over here. Do you want to uh, you want to take it from the start, or you want me to? No, I'll, I'll go into it because I think it transitions well. Speaking of segues um, of organic pairings, so Moxley and Kingsley seem like they're uh, going to be heels together, and that's an obvious potential feud with Brian and Punk. I think because Brian or Punk had talked about wanting to be with um, Brian Danielson and have a partnership with him to go up against the Young Bucks. I like them facing. Uh, John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. I think that could be a great feud or uh, yeah, great, great uh, program. Excuse me. 
Uh, I mentioned before at the start of the show that you got to see them both biting, which is the weirdest way to link two wrestlers together in separate matches. But it shows the heel side to Eddie. That felt like a real authentic segment when he interrupted the pro. It's such an easy thing to do. Um, at first, I think last week we talked about in the show as well, like, okay, what the fuck is Punk going to do for full gear? It makes sense now to not have him in a defined program. Because if he was going to wrestle Eddie Kingston the whole time, Eddie Kingston needed to take that loss to get to this point. Maybe they would have been able to do it sooner if that was the plan finish or not with Lance Archer and Eddie Kingston. Maybe they wanted to do this sooner or whatever. I don't know. But they're in this moment. It felt organic now to have Punk and Eddie Kingston feud. I think those two are going to tear it up on the mic. That's the only... um, thing I have misgivings about with the, with, with that pairing of those two right now is I wanted to see them go up against each other on the mic for a few weeks to really build this up and to get buys in for the show. But it made sense with the storyline that they have with them both being in the tournament. And I think this feud will go on when you bring in Moxley to go with Kingston and uh, Brian Danielson, not singing that song, baby, to go with uh, – punk down the line so hopefully we get some cool shit that comes out of this one yeah the um the promos alone are just anticipation enough uh it was great to see just right after the match you have kingston blowing up in the background and punk's just like what the hell you doing man uh i immediately thought back to just like if we had straight edge society cm punk he would just be tearing this dude down for Mm -hmm. all all his right reasons. Um, they're perfect yin and yang to each other. One's dirty scumbag. One's the clean punk rock straight edge dude. They, they're definitely two people who have had, I'm sure they've had to have wrestled back in the old days. Um, but it's a dream match nonetheless. And one that wasn't really talked about when CM Punk was coming, it was more of the younger people, Mm -hmm. but it's cool to see these two, pillars of history that we have in the modern wrestling going at it. And like you say, this tag match of the Moxley Kingston connection and um, Brian and CM Punk, that's just going to blow up in the ring. That's four names that we would actually like to see in a tag match, not Cody in a match with three other great wrestlers. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. It's kind of a, if it's going to happen at full gear, it's not, the the long dragged out story that we can see some background beat ups or just fuel in the ring just with the mic but i'm very excited for eddie and cm punk when when punk first the rumors came out that he was going to be signing with aw or he might be and then the first dance all happened everyone's first thought was wow i can't wait for him to feud with mjf that's going to be magical on the mic and we're going to get one that's going to potentially be at least the same level, if not even better with Eddie and punk. I think they're both two guys that have a lot of struggle to talk about. They have a lot of everything they say is something that, you know, is true uh, to an extent. Obviously they're exaggerating it for storyline purposes and things like that, but this is going to be a great battle of two people on the mic that also have, uh, a really unique perspective and the way that they present things that's going to make this feel like it's more of an MMA thing than it is a pro mm-hmm. wrestling angle. Yeah, I agree. And punk talked about, he wanted to wrestle young talent. Eddie's not young at all. 
And that could be an easy storyline uh, thing to hit is for him to say, yeah, I'm not interested in, in, in wrestling guys that are over the hill. And that's an easy way for Eddie to come back at him really hardcore oh, yeah. at him because they are very similar, even though they are kind of a yin and yang with lifestyle. They're both dirt balls in a good way. <laughs> and they both are kind of grimy and they both have some grit underneath their nails where they can get at each other and probably cut some uh, very personal, bitter promos against one another. And Eddie Kingston is bringing it in the ring right now, too. And he'll be able to, I think, carry CM Punk, who hasn't really shown uh, what he could do back in the early teens in the ring. So he, I mean, CM Punk, he's going to be fucking great. It's going to happen eventually where he has a four star, possibly five star match, but this is going to be, I would think his first four star match at full gear. I hope. I would hope so. And I think to, if you look at Eddie Kingston's gear, it's always that yellow. It's in honor of Masawa. Obviously punk is somebody who's got a lot of Japanese influence in the way that he wrestles the, G- the go to sleep was something that he had seen Kenta do years ago. Um, so I think that we're going to see a very old school kind of all Japan style match when we see these two go against each other. Definitely. Definitely. It's uh, two weeks away. I couldn't wait. Yeah. So speaking of things ahead, so uh, we'll do some semblance of a full gear preview show and probably a post show. We're going to figure that out behind the scenes. So that's still to come. Uh, other things that are going to come as well. We're going to be reading uh, Mr. John Moxley's first book as a group here. The three of us, I think, all got copies that are coming tomorrow. So at some point we'll do, uh, I don't know, some semblance of a special episode with the podcast or maybe something on the website. So be on the lookout for that in the weeks ahead in November. Also be on the lookout on WrestlingElitist.com. I'm going to write an article, uh, post an article soon about uh, John Moxley and Kenny Omega's match at full gear from 2019. And it's about my uh, ambivalence to hardcore matches. I have a repulsion, but I also have an, have an attraction to hardcore matches too. And me trying to rectify that as a fan. So wanted to plug that as that comes up in the days ahead as well. So please check us out on wrestlingelitist.com. And then again, make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, give us a five-star rating, Please share that with friends in the wrestling community. Uh, we're trying to grow this show. We're not spending uh, any money right now on advertising for it, so we want to make sure that it gets listened to. But give us your feedback as well. We'd love to hear it. And we'd, if you have a question, anything that you want us to address on the show, we'll also bring it up too. And before we wrap everything up, we just want to give some, some yes. warm wishes to Jim Duggan, Jim Duggan on his uh, prostate cancer diagnosis. That's uh, a real tough one to hear because a legend that we've known for our whole life and even if in just in Royal Rumble mo- moments, um, just always be safe, get yourself checked whenever you need to. And if you have those problems in your, your uh, family, definitely keep out. And um, former colleague, uh, work colleague, Dan Housen uh, suffered a, an injury over the weekend too. Hopefully he comes back healthy and good as always. He's very evil, but very cursed. Awesome. So it's time to hit the music. Hit the music. Hit the music.